keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 15. Thank you, Chip, for reading the Word of God to us this morning. <clears throat> I was wondering, uh, Stephen and I had decided that I would be preaching this weekend a number of weeks ago, and I was under the impression I was preaching this weekend because Stephen was teaching a hybrid class Friday and Saturday until I began to study this passage, and I realized that I am not preaching here today because Stephen had a hybrid class. I do believe the reason I'm preaching this morning is because Stephen would really have a problem preaching against washing of hands, and so he decided that uh, I would be better suited to preach this. So as you leave this morning, make sure you sneeze on your hand before you shake his hands, and watch how fast he runs to the bathroom to wash his hands. We are in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. We just finished up last week as Stephen preached through the feeding of the 5,000 through Jesus walking on water. And we have this uh, teaching and we see Jesus pushing the disciples towards faith. What is it? Where's their faith? As we remember last week, he tells Peter, get out of the boat. And Peter gets out and guess what happens? He begins to look around and begins to sink. And so we see the miracles here in chapter 14, leading us here at the end of chapter 14 in verse 34, they crossed over, they got through the storm, Jesus calmed the storm, they get over to land. And when the men of the place recognized him, they sent out all the regions and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so we see as Jesus here is in Galilee, he is gets to land, they see him, they begin to bring the sick, and we see just the outworking of faith here of these people that would say, listen, we heard what happened. The woman with an issue of blood came, and out of faith, and when reacting out of faith, guess what? Jesus healed them. They said, we've heard the story. We've heard how Jesus healed this woman by just touching the hem of the garment. And so here, all these people that are sick come, and they desire to do what? Touch the hem of his garment. Now, if that's you, or if that's me specifically, if I'm going all this way to be healed, guess what I would want to do? I would want him to speak to me. I would want him to touch me. I would want something to go on. But out of faith, these people are acting, and they are coming and teaching or touching the hem of his garment. And it says, and as many as were touched, they were made well. They were made whole. They were healed. We come to... Chapter 15. Now, just for a minute, remember our, uh, the theme of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. And so, just for a minute, you get to the end of chapter 14, folks, and this, can you imagine? Let's just, just step into the disciples' shoes for a second. Sandals. Alright? This is the king, and this is how the king should be seen. Right? End of chapter 14. Dude, everybody's coming to see him. In fact, if you remember back when I preached in chapter 12, the Pharisees had heard about it and heard of his fame. And they, they started, uh, hey, whoa, whoa, you aren't supposed to pick grain on the Sabbath. Even in the beginning of chapter 14, it says, and Herod had heard about the fame of Jesus. And so you get to the end of chapter 14, and man, this is how the king should be treated. Right? If this Jesus is the Messiah, the, I mean, the fame is scattered abroad. I mean, everybody's coming to see Jesus. Everybody's gathering around him. He's feeding over 15,000 people and being able to teach these people. And this is what it's supposed to look like. And we get to the beginning of 
chapter 15, and here are the Pharisees and scribes, and they're from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is some 60 miles away. These are the bigwigs. I, w- I would liken it to the fact that, let's just say you, <clears throat> we're getting to April 15th, David. Here's a little shout out for uh, all you tax guys. All right, April 15th. Now let's say you have a little trouble with your taxes. So you live in the town of Bunn and you hear that the town of Bunn is coming to inspect your taxes. Right? Eh, it's a town of Bunn. Right? Throw a couple, of, you know, I mean, how, how bad can it be? It's an inspector from the town of Bunn. When you get an inspector from the county of Franklin, right? Franklin County inspectors coming in to inspect your taxes. Well, that's a little bit higher than Bunn. Well, then all of a sudden you get the state inspectors coming. A little bit different. But what if you got a call when you got home today and they said, hey, listen, there's a, a tax and IRS inspector coming from Washington, D.C. to check out your taxes. That's a whole different feeling, right? Dude's flying in from D.C. He'll be here tomorrow morning. Have a great day. You would say, oh, right? The dude is coming from D.C. This doesn't matter what happens, nothing's going to end well right here. Well, here's the Pharisees. Seems to be a different group of Pharisees than in verse 12. These are not regional Pharisees. These are not uh, Pharisees that may be in different towns. No, these are the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem. And they are coming to what? They are coming to Jesus. They have come and made this trip. They have heard of the fame that is going on, the fame that is following Jesus, the fame that Herod heard of in, verse, in, cha- in chapter 14 that said, is this John the Baptist risen again from the dead? And they said, we have got to go. I mean, the, the, these other Pharisees that have tried in chapter 12, they just didn't get it done. They're, they're, not, they're not from Jerusalem. They're not a Jerusalem group, man. This is a job for us. And so they travel from Jerusalem and they come to Jesus. They come to attack Jesus. And so here they come, and the disciples are growing in confidence. Jesus is performing these miracles. And here come these Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem, and they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, I want to look at a number of things here in this passage that we must be aware of. And I believe right here in chapter 15, the first part, we must be aware of your basis or standard for your faith. We're talking about faith. And the question is, what is the beware, what is the basis or standard of your faith? And they come and they say, wait, 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 why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, you must understand the tradition of the elders. The Pharisees and scribes were all about the law. They loved the law. But... In any situation where the law may be a little bit dicey or maybe just to make sure you don't break it, they had made traditions. And so there's a number of traditions there. You can, I mean, there's, there there was a whole book of traditions. One of the traditions from Exodus is uh, when you remember when God would send manna, the book of Exodus, it said, do not go out on the Sabbath. Well, he was talking about do not go out to gather manna, but they were afraid that going out, doing any labor, going out and carrying anything on the Sabbath may break the law. And so they had a law that you could not carry anything over your doorstep going out of your house. 
But what would happen if a poor man came and needed some help? Could you help him on the Sabbath? And so they made the law. To bear something out of your house, you could not pick it up and take it to the doorstep and put it outside the house and lay it down. When you carried it out and laid it down, it was bearing something. A poor person could not come to the door of your house, reach in and pick something up and pull it out. That was bearing something. So to make sure that you did not break the law, the person would have to carry it to the doorstep without crossing the doorstep and hold it out. If the poor person took it out of their hand without setting it down, now they have not broken the law. They did not bear anything out of the house. Okay? Now you say that seems silly, right? Having to keep all these laws. But at the very heart of it, it may not be silly. Why get close to the cliff, right? You've heard the illustration. Well, they, in trying not to get close to the cliff, our heart, their heart was drawn to, well, the farther away from it we get, the more spiritual we are. And so they become a list of rules that the rabbis actually held in higher regards than the law. Because in holding them higher regards of the law, then they were sure not to break the law. And so we come to this hand washing. You say, how important is this hand washing? Well, this hand washing was held in very high esteem. In fact, it was very detailed. You could never wash your hands in a pot that was still water. It would defile it. It would defile the, the water. It would defile the pot. And so it always must be poured. And you would have to use at least one and a half eggshell full of water to pour over your hands. And so it was a very ritualistic thing. You would pour it over your hands, and from my understanding, you would have to pour it in a way that it would run off your wrist. So you would hold your hands up, you would pour it over it, and it would run off your wrist. Then you would pour it over and hold your fingers down, and it would fall on the ground. It could not fall into a basin or a bowl, or that would be defiled. It's said that they had they did this multiple times, often during a meal, between courses. They would wash their hands. There's even uh, history and writings that said rabbis that would go to prison and would be in prison and need water and need nourishment would take the very water that would give them life and keep them from dying of thirst and wash their hands with it so as to rather die clean than to live unclean. So let us not think that these people are just making this up. This was very serious for them. And so they come and they see Jesus' disciples. Notice they don't attack Jesus. Whether Jesus was eating with them or he was just allowing it to happen, why did they not confront Jesus about his attitude even towards this? But they come and they say, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answers them. They're waiting for Jesus to engage in this uh, banter back and forth into this conflict, and they are ready to battle. And Jesus says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? What is Jesus bringing forth? Here is what he is saying. What is the basis or standard of your faith, of your belief system? You can believe this tradition of the elders, but when it comes into conflict with the Bible, which one do you stand with? And so he brings it out. He says, for God commanded, honor your father and mother. Now, this is the very basis 
of the Ten Commandments, right? This is, everybody knows this. This is the Ten Commandments. This isn't some obscure law, right, in, in Leviticus or in Exodus. No, this is the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And they would say, much like the rich young ruler, I've kept this one. He says, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother should surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what would you have, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of tradition, you have made the void, you made void the word of God. What is happening here? Well, we learn from Mark chapter 7 that the they had this tradition, the tradition of the elders. And so, in this instant, say a mother or a father would come to their child and say, Listen, we're elderly, we can't work anymore, and we have a financial need. We need food, we need, we need some help financially. Well, what these people had put into their laws, into their tradition, was that you could come and you could say over your stuff, you could claim Corbin. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. You can claim Corbin. And what the Corbin meant is that you are giving everything you have to God. And so in this instance, what would happen is a mother or father would come to their child and say, Man, we need some money. We need help financially. And they say, Man, The very people that are supposed to be teaching the word of God, the very people that are supposed to be upholding the word of God, and they are actually using their tradition as more the basis of their faith than the word of God. And so he says, beware of what you use. Listen, have you ever heard somebody say this? Just just application here. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I know the Bible says, but. Right? That's a very dangerous statement. That's a very dangerous statement. I know that the Bible says God will judge us for, but don't you think. I've heard somebody say. If I know God is holy, but. God, if he loves us, there's no way he could send that person to hell. There's no way he could judge that person. 
I mean, I know God is holy, but do you really think it's going to matter? As I thought through that, even this week, I wonder if Moses would say that. Uh, God, I know, I know I was supposed to obey you, but you would never keep me out of the promised land. If you were here for our study, what do you know? He slipped up. He put up with all that garbage for all those years from those wayward, backward sinners. And he made a mistake, and guess what? God would not allow his holiness to be blasphemed. Listen to me. My friend, what Jesus is telling us here is beware. This has got to be the standard of your faith. When it comes to the kingdom of God and to who the king is, this is how we know the king. Not some tradition. Not something that's going to make us feel good. This has got to be it. And what Jesus is pointing out is, you want to argue the tradition of the elders, my question is, how important is the Bible to you? How, much, how important is the law to you? How, much, how important is the word of God? And what he's pointing out very quickly is, that you have mistaken, mistakenly put your faith in something that is not God's word. It is not truth. Beware of the basis of your faith. Number two here, beware of hypocrisy in your worship. Look what he says in verse 7. You hypocrites. You're hypocrites. Here are people that are supposed to be religious. They're supposed to be following God. They're supposed to be teaching people the law of God. And guess what? They're not obeying the law of God. You're a hypocrite. What you say and what you are doing are two totally different things. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And we see even here, as Isaiah brought this up about the Israelites all those years ago, it is still prophesying of these Pharisees here. And it is even prophesying of us today. What does Jesus know about people? Oh, they like to be religious. And they like to come and they like to make it look like they are following me. But he knows, guess what? There is a worship that is acceptable before God and there is a worship that is vain. And what tells it apart? Listen to me. You can sit here in a church service and say we worship. You come to a worship service and you sing worship songs. And we have worship and giving. And you look at our bulletin and it's worship and praise. Worship in the word. Worship, worship, worship. Well, here's what God's saying. Showing up at this service this morning does not mean you're worshiping. Listen carefully. Showing up at this service does not mean you're worshiping. Because you can sit here... And sing, come thou fount of every blessing. And sing about how your heart is being pulled away from God. And your mind and your heart isn't in a thing you sang. That's what he says. You honor me with your lips. Oh, they, they, oh yeah, we follow God. We're Pharisees. Remember, remember what, what did Jesus say? The rich, they come and they, what do they do with their money? 
They jingle it and they throw it in there so everybody sees. Remember, they come and they stand on the street corner and let us pray, my brother. And they're praying out loud. So what? Everybody sees it. We've already seen that in Matthew. Jesus says what? I am not interested in what on the, is on the outside until we take care of what is on the inside. He says, man, you come and you, you claim to be worshiping. You claim to have this attitude of worship. But you're hypocrites. You want to be seen by man. You're more concerned with everything else but me. Why? Because, listen, go back to point number one. When the Bible is not our basis for our walk and knowledge of God, it leads us to worship something else. If they're following the commandments of men, guess what it's going to lead them to? Worship of men, of themselves, of what I can do to please God, of what my works should say, and how people should think of me. Why? Because the Bible was not their basis of their faith. The Word of God was not the basis of their faith. They were not in awe. It is why the psalmist would say in Psalm 51, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Listen, was it a big deal to offer sacrifices? Sure it was. But ask Saul how that worked out for him. What's the bleeding I hear back here, Saul? Oh, man, we were just going to offer some sacrifices. God said what? I didn't ask for sacrifices. I asked for a heart that would obey me. Listen, my friend. You are not going to stand before God and say, man, I went to church every day, 52 weeks out of the year. I was there for six years straight. I had the perfect attendance award. And you could sit in church for 52 weeks straight, six years in a row, and your heart never have been there. It wouldn't have been about God. You just didn't want the preacher coming to your door to see you and ask you why you didn't show up. Right? There's a, there, there can be a million reasons why you show up here. But what God is interested in is what is going on in the heart. Is there heart worship? We come to worship when our heart is involved in the worship. Worship is not a song. It is not an emotion. It is not a Service. Worship is an attitude of the heart when we are blown away by who God is. We grow in our knowledge of Him through His Word. Then it drives our actions and emotions and reverence. You read the psalmist, you say, Man, I just wish I could weep like He did. I wish I could raise my hands like He did. I wish I would listen. You can conjure up emotions. You can conjure up weeping. You can conjure up raising your hands. You can conjure up anything you want. But that does not mean it's worship. Think about it. What do we worship? What do we worship? When you go to a ball game,
hike down in the Grand Canyon. as our standard and basis of faith that is going to drive us. And we begin to know God. Listen to me. Tell Isaiah. Tell John in Revelation when they see God in this vision. Tell them there isn't an emotion. Tell them it doesn't drive them to worship. Doesn't, tell them it doesn't take over their heart. Why? Because when you get a picture and an awe and you know God, guess what? It drives your heart. Listen, my friend. You know why we often come and we can sit in a service and the songs can be sung and we may pay them lip service as the Pharisees are doing here, honoring with their lips But you know why there is not worship going on? Because we do not know God well enough. We have not been consumed with God. We have not gotten a view of God that just consumes us with the overwhelming awe of who He is. Our heart is not drawn to Him. We sit here thinking, and listen, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I was singing this morning thinking, man... I need to make this announcement, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. And what, what about this afternoon? I, it's so easy to be drawn away by everything but the thing we're supposed to be worshiping. What he says here is, listen, beware of hypocrisy in your worship. So I just wrote a couple things down here. How can I worship God with my heart? Yeah, I, like, I like to be practical here. How can I worship? And I'm not saying this is all-inclusive. You may have four more points that you'll figure out at small group tonight. But how can I draw my heart to worship? Because if you're anything like me, there are some days you come in here and you are just blown away. Right? You've had a great week spiritually. You're excited to get to church. You're excited to worship. And then if anybody's like me, you've had those other weeks. And you walk in here... And if I wasn't paid to be here, I don't know that I would be here. Right? I'm just going to be honest with you. Right? If you're not a Sunday school teacher and you didn't have to show up or your class wouldn't have anybody, you wouldn't come. Right? Let's just be honest. We all have those weeks, right? How do I draw my heart to say, God, I want to be here. I need this. I want to worship you. I am here to worship you. I would say number one. Going back to our first point, make sure your worship is based on the word of God. Psalm 42.1, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so my heart pants for you, O God. Do you really desire, does your heart, your soul, your inward being desire God? Does your heart go after God like it goes after your hobby? 
after your ball team, after your friends, after your Facebook, after your phone, after your you name it. Do you really desire God? So I'm saying here, how do I draw my heart to worship God? Get into His Word. Learn to love the Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Become an Awana leader, here's a little plug, and memorize it. Listen to me. We can say, well, we're adults. We can't memorize the Word of God. Right? You talk to, talk to Kirk, Chris, I'm, I'm looking around, Steve, some of our Awana leaders, Bobby, Dolly, Jennifer. Hey, man, those kids can memorize Scripture. Woo! Man, that's awesome. When's the last time you did? Oh, well, I'm, man, I'm over 50. I can't memorize anything anymore. Are you serious? You memorize what you want to memorize. Right? You can memorize all the stats for your sports team. You can memorize a thousand things at work that you need to know. Do you desire God's word? As you get a glimpse of God through his word, guess what it's going to do to your heart? It's going to draw your heart to him. Go after God. Number two, I would say prepare for worship. Now, we worship, you can worship anytime. But I'm specifically going to talk about our worship services here. You will prepare for work tomorrow. Some of you will go home. You'll maybe lay out your clothes. You'll make sure you know what you're having for lunch. And, and you prepare to go to work tomorrow. You will prepare your kids for school tomorrow morning. Right? You, you packed their lunch. You got their clothes ready. You're ready Monday morning. This is what we do. How many of us prepare to come to worship? Or do we get up Sunday morning and we hit the snooze 14 times because uh, we'll get through these announcements. We don't really need those anyways. And we'll get there in time for maybe the last song, hear a little bit of preaching, right? Man, this is my day to sleep in. We don't prepare for worship. You get up and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off looking for clothes to wear. You don't do that for work. You, don't do, you definitely don't do that when you go to a ball game on the weekend or you go fishing or you go hunting. What do you do? You lay it all out the night before, right? Hey, if I'm going hunting, the waiters are there. Man, they're sitting by the front door with the shotgun and the shells, and I got everything lined up. You don't go out looking for it. Why don't we prepare for worship? And number three, consume your mind and heart with God. Get into his word. Memorize his word. Listen to music that pushes you to Christ. How many times do you come to church? I don't have this problem because I come way earlier than the rest of the family. But how many times do you come to church and you're arguing in the car? And then you get out and expect somehow, man, my heart's going to be ready to meet with Jesus. Prepare for worship. Point number three. Beware of your standard and basis for faith. Beware of hypocrisy when you come to worship. Number three, beware of what or whom you follow. Look what he says in verse 12 through 14. He says, disciples come to him and say, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You know, it's interesting to me here. Why, why did the disciples even bring this up? The disciples have not been the best friends of the Pharisees. 
right? Chapter 12, here in chapter 15, the Pharisees are like, look at the disciples, look at the disciples, look at the disciples. You would think the disciples are like, I don't care if you're offended. But they're not. And for good reason. Right? Let, let's just put ourselves in the disciples. These dudes are from Jerusalem. If they're offended, this could cause a huge problem. They're connected. In fact, in just a few chapters, these exact guys are going to be doing what? They're going to be involved in putting Christ to death. Okay, The, the, the disciples are not foolish. And they're like, ooh, Jesus, there's people to pick a fight with, and then there's these guys. Right? This is not going to go well. But you know what? Jesus never made room for error. He's talking about the kingdom. He wanted to make sure that they realized traditional religion was not planted by God. The doctrines of man are not planted by God. He is warning them. Listen to me. These guys, though they look spiritual, and while they're considered spiritual, and they look righteous, and they look like they do everything right, at the end of the day, guess what's going to happen? They are leading people away from the kingdom. They will be rooted up. They will lead them into a pit. They will lead you to destruction. And Jesus had no time and no place for them. Listen. You can just hear Peter, right? Because just in a few chapters, Peter's going to what? Deny Christ three times to a little girl, right? Peter's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, hold on now. These are the dudes from Jerusalem, right? Who do you fear? The king? You fear? I mean, just read the book of Proverbs. The fear of God. Who are you here to honor? Who are you here to worship? Oh, Jesus, the Pharisees are offended. Jesus, maybe we should do something here. Now say something that, that, that will talk this down. We don't want, we don't want these guys going away mad. Jesus says, no, no, no. There is no room for error. Why? Because you are dealing with eternity. Listen, this is, this is a difficult thing, my friend. As we worship and as we make the Bible our basis for our faith and practice, which will then, and in just a minute we'll look at, will drive our actions. When we do that, Jesus even told the disciples, guess what? People are going to hate you. Why? Because they hate me. The Bible is offensive to the lost and dying world. It does offend. The question is, who do you fear? God or man? Who are you going to fear, Peter, disciples, in this conversation? God? Or are you afraid of the Pharisees? You know, it isn't interesting that even as you see Jesus going to the cross, the, you just see the, the disciples acting out of fear, acting out of fear, acting out of fear, acting out of fear. Until you get to where? Book of Acts. Holy Spirit comes on them and guess what? Acts chapter 4. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they said, Dude, these guys have been with Jesus. Listen to me. When you are consumed with Christ, 
You do not respond out of fear of others. You do not allow others to lead your walk with God. You are careful about how you let guide you. And here's what his illustration. They knew about blind people, right? You read the miracles. Jesus was healing blind people. They didn't, they didn't have all the technology that we have today and the surgeries that can heal this. And so there's these blind people around. And how do these blind people get around? Well, there's people leading them. And so this is a vivid illustration. There's people leading blind people around. And Jesus says, man, the blind need somebody to lead them. That's right. But when you follow the Pharisees that are going after the tradition of men rather than the doctrine of God, guess what's happening? You have a blind person leading a blind person. And these people immediately realize this is not going to end well. Right? If you're walking down the street and you see a guy and he has his arm out and another guy has his arm around him and the one in front has a white cane and they're walking down the street, you're going to go, Right? This is this is not good. Something is wrong with this picture. Jesus saying there is something wrong when you are going more after the traditions of men than after the word of God, and you think that the traditions of men and traditional religion and these things are more important than knowing God and it, through His word. Guess what's going to happen? You will be rooted up and you will be fallen into a pit. He said they will not. Get into the kingdom. Listen to me. This is no time to worry about who you are offending. Catherine and I were just talking about the other day. We had the opportunity to sit in the, the home of the lay elder of the Mormon church in Bedlam. And as we even discussed going over there, how much do you push? I don't want to offend them. And you know what? Finally consumed them. This is maybe our one shot to take them from the pit and take them and share the gospel so that God could save them and bring them into his kingdom. Why are we worried about offending them? The word of God is offensive. Share Jesus. He says, be careful who you're following because depending on who you're following, they could be leading you away from the kingdom. They could be leading you to be rooted up and to fall into a pit. Beware of what or whom you follow. And then lastly, number four, beware of what defiles you. Go back to verse 10. And Jesus calls the people. So he, he's talked to the Pharisees. He calls the people to them. And he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. He says, well, listen, it is silly to think that what we're worried about is how you wash your hands and put it in, and that is going to defile And If you do that right, if you make sure that what you eat is correct, then that will keep you out of the judgment. He says that is foolish. And, and, and just think about it for a minute. Why would Jesus have to come? Why would Jesus even been there? If all they had to do is make sure they washed their hands before they ate, then why did Jesus even come? Jesus came for a whole lot more than whether you wash your hands or not. He said, that's not what defiles you. My friend, what defiles you is your heart. And what comes from the heart is demonstrated by your mouth. Go down. Peter says to him in verse 15, explain the parable. It's teaching to us. And he says, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? 
I mean, if that's what really defiles you, guess what? You put it in, body uses the nutrients, and you go to the restroom and it's over. Right? You expel it out. So if, if really, let's just think of it, if this is what really defiles you, when it is expelled out, then it's gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Your body naturally gets rid of it. So obviously that is not the problem. Problem is, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Interesting here, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Where do you get those? The Ten Commandments he started with is number five when he started with the Pharisees. Right? Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hey, he, he starts down. He says, Here, here's, here's what comes out of the heart. The reason Jesus, or the reason God gave the law is why? Because our heart are, is drawn to break it. This is exactly what comes out of a sinful heart. Your heart is drawn to break it. And so what really needs to happen is not for you to worry about whether you washed your hands or not. What really needs to worry about is what are you going to do with your heart? Because... What? These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Listen. Food we eat, it passes through us. But the heart is the center of our sin. And our heart is wicked. No one can know their heart. We need a heart change. And isn't it interesting when your heart is changed? Listen, I'm just going to read a couple passages. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You can go on and read James chapter 3, what it says about the tongue. If you can bridle the tongue, you can bridle horse, you can bridle ship. It's easier to do that than bridle the tongue. Why? Because the tongue reflects what's in your heart, and your heart is wicked. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only as such for good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When your heart experiences grace and you are saved, guess what? Your heart is changed and what will come out of your mouth? Grace. Edifying. But listen to me. We are... I, I, I should say this. I... I'm a professional at critiquing the wrong in everybody else's life. Right? And you just add bless your heart, bless his heart on the end of it, and you're good. Right? It's no longer gossip. Bless his heart. Right? We're good at that. How many of you find it difficult to find all good and focus on that and give grace and edify? language is going to be different what comes out of it as you experience the grace of God and realize God knew all that I was and yet he saved me and he changed me then how can I not show grace to others Ephesians 5 4 let there no filthiness nor foolish talking nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving Colossians 4 6 let your speech always be gracious seasoned 
with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Titus 3, we could go on and on and on, but what it is revealing, folks, listen to me, when our heart is wicked, our mouth will be wicked. And how easy it is to fall back into that. I mean, it makes a good prayer request, right? We tell you about so-and-so's marriage, let's pray for them. Oh, let me, let me, let me. And our mouth defiles us and defiles us and defiles us. And we think that it's somehow this spiritual thing that, man, I look good because I can point out the negative things about everybody else. But what the Bible teaches us and what Jesus is teaching us here is that when we have the Bible as our standard of faith and when our heart is changed and we are part of the king and his kingdom... Guess what? It changes our actions. Not because we changed our actions, but because He changed our hearts, our actions will change. What He is not saying, please listen to me and I'm done. What He is not saying is, go home and try to talk nicer to your wife or your husband. That's not what He's saying. You come back next week, I didn't say a negative thing about my wife, bless her heart. That doesn't mean you're any more spiritual. You're just more of a hypocrite. What Jesus is saying is as you get to know God, and God has changed your heart, and that is reflected in how you worship, it is reflected in how you talk, and it is reflected in who you follow. too long you can go to sister's cafe and start asking about different churches and for too long you have heard people say what man after what comes out of their mouth and i've heard about that church and what people say about the preacher and deacons and other church members i wouldn't go to that church for all the money in the world that is a reflection of an evil heart my friend oh that we would not be characterized Look at, when we inspect our heart, we need to inspect our mouth. What is coming out of it? Because look how wicked. Jesus is not saying you have a little wickedness in your heart that needs to be changed. He's saying, no, out of it come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That is what our evil hearts are drawn to. We need Jesus. And if we have Jesus and he has changed our heart, then it needs to be reflected in how we talk, in our speech. What would people say about our hearts? If we interviewed your coworkers, if we interviewed your family, if we interviewed your neighbors, what would they say about your heart? Because it's reflected in how you talk. My friend, what I am not saying now as we come to this invitation time is that we just need to do better. What I am saying is we need a heart that is consumed with God. That is longing for and going after God. That will change our worship and then it will change our language, our talk. Is your heart consumed with God.